Welcome to episode three of Screaming on the Inside. My name's Lee. I'm the admission supervisor for UCAT Treatment Centres. So this episode, we're very pleased to invite onto the podcast the manager of our Sanctuary Lodge Rehab, Jenna Virapan. Jenna has 15 years of experience working in the field of psychology. Jenna brings with her a wealth of experience and passion to the conversation. We're very pleased to have her here. This episode, Bridging the Gap, is understanding what needs to be done when somebody leaves treatment and returns home to the normal pattern of living. So thank you for joining me today, Jenna. You're welcome. Thank you. So um, today's going to be a little different to our previous podcast. So we've had um, ex-clients of us before who have discussed their experience of being in treatment and actually leaving and what it's like to lead a life clean. And you're coming from a different standpoint of being the manager of the centre and actually working with the clients. So um, when clients come in with you and, you know, it must be very daunting for them to actually enter the treatment centre and, you know, going through the process with you guys, um, when they leave treatment and go back to you know the normal life, um, what would be waiting from the outside? Why is it so important to have a recovery program in place when they leave treatment? I think the reason why it's so important is what we try and teach them while they're in treatment is that this isn't a um, a short-term thing. This isn't a nine-to-five thing. This is for the rest of your life. Um, so this is about changing kind of every aspect of your life to make sure that you're kind of the priority because if you're the priority you can then be there for other people it just gives them a bit of structure and that's the thing that they've missed before they come into treatment with us um, having a routine um, having something in place that they know they can take five minutes out for themselves and it doesn't have to be an hour it doesn't have to be three hours it can just be five minutes to ground themselves um, check in with themselves most importantly um, and then feel a bit more courage and strength to carry on again yeah no of course I think self self-love is a very big part of recovery and I I like what you say about the the small things because I've heard it's not the mountains that trip you up in recovery it's the molehills and it, it really yeah. is like that um, when clients are with you they get a really good structure don't they so I know you're, you're very structured within the, the rehab program um, moving out um, past that point, um, would, would a lot of them follow that structure? Would they develop their own coping strategies? We kind of, um, we have a template and it's then for the individual because everyone is an individual. Everyone is going out to different situations and different scenarios. It's then about trying to bring in that balance for them because what might work for me is not necessarily going to work continuously going for someone else you know someone might need to go to two meetings a day someone might need to go to one meeting a day it, it just and it depends on the rest of the things that they have so we try and give them like a template to kind of work off and, and start planning how they can so they're not living in the future because we really do encourage them to stay in the day but making a plan is also really important so they know what tools they've got in their toolbox to kind of fall on fall back on yeah yeah, it's it's very important. The, one of the things I suppose I've learned from my own personal recovery program and uh, my journey in recovery is um, in addiction, I lived in the past an awful lot. Um, I had a lot of regrets around the past. I think a lot of people do when, by the time they get to the stage where you know they're coming into treatment and they're getting clean. But um, I also lived in the future a lot. So I had a lot of regrets around the past and worry about the future. And I'm in constant turmoil stuck between the two and never really appreciated what was going on today. 
So one of the gifts for me most definitely has been the ability to live in the moment right here and right now because I can only stay clean today. I've only ever lived my life right in the moment and being able to do that in recovery was one, certainly one of the biggest gifts that I've actually ever been given. Yeah, and it, and it is. You're, you're absolutely right. You know, in a lot of the ways that we describe it to clients, you know, when you're living in the past, it's often depression. When you're living yeah. in the future, it's often anxiety. Neither one of them is going to give you anything that's rational. Um, it, it all becomes irrational. So being in the present moment just allows you to kind of focus on actually what's in front of you, what you can control, rather than trying to look at things that you have no control over people, places or things. So um, as much as you can have a plan, that's not always going to be 100% foolproof. No, very true. Very true. And um, do you have any involvement with the alumni side of things when people leave treatment? Um, we we do link people in, obviously, with the alumni, and um, you know we do promote that quite a lot because it is really important. Um, and we, you know we've had some events here. We've had a, a Christmas party, and then there's been a few other events, obviously, before COVID um, came into play. Um, where we just think it's really important to just have those events and, and normalise. Um, some things, you know, I, we went to the Christmas party obviously the year before last and a lot yeah. of uh, graduates were invited to that and it was really, really interesting to um, to see how people reacted really differently to it. You know, they hadn't danced um, sober and clean and, and, and they were nervous and being around lots of people in an environment, you know, and others were really enjoying that kind of just, freedom to remember what was happening and be a part of it and the belly laughter that didn't require having a substance in them yeah it's, it's an amazing thing to see it must be lovely for you as well because you get to see them at the point of entry when they come you know clients come into treatment and then mm. seeing the difference at something like a social event it, it must be lovely for you to see yeah it is it's a real privilege to be a part of that journey because it's never plain sailing um you know, and I remember someone saying to me once, you don't get a good sailor because they sail the smooth waters. A good sailor is someone that knows how to, to ride the waves and, and still survive. Um, and, and that's a lot like people going through their addiction and their recovery. You know, if it's plain sailing, something, something's not right um, because that's just not life. It's full of ups and downs. Um, you know, there's good days, there's bad days, there's in-between days. Um you know, and it can change minute to minute. So it's about living life on life's terms. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've spoken to people about this because um, I always, you know, I have difficult days the same as everybody else in recovery. Mm -hmm. And um, speaking to my sponsor, actually, and he says you grow through the difficult times. And it is so true. When everything's going well, I don't really need to do a lot in recovery. You know, I'm able to stay clean and um, do okay. It's when things um, get get more difficult and the water is a little choppy. I really have to put some action in and there are the times that I do grow in terms of because I'm getting more coping mechanisms, I think, during them times. I'm getting more skills on what to do when the, when the difficult times do arise. And what what you say about life on life's terms is very true. Life is going to happen to people when they leave treatment and they're going to need the tools to deal with it. 
and it's really, really, really difficult to put a plan in place when you're in crisis. So we always talk to clients before they're leaving and, and kind of compare it to, you know, where, wherever you go in a building, you know, and they tell you about their fire evacuation procedure and, you know, the green little man and, you know, the yeah. fire door signs. And people know that's an automatic thing that's kind of built in, you know, and it's about everyone having that kind of treatment recovery program in place because if you save it well for when you hit the crisis you have about two three seconds before you go into auto mode um, and your normal reaction which is probably to go and get substances kicks into play so you have about two three seconds to change that decision process so yeah. it and that is not the time to be thinking well who who's my emergency person that I call who's where's my go-to support network um, or my safe place um, because it's not enough time so having an emergency plan and memorizing that emergency plan and having a list of you know we've all had those scenarios you know we all rely on our phones these days none of us remember phone numbers but having a list and having a hard copy list of names and numbers that says you know 15 people at least so building up your recovery capital around you so you have that support there yeah. all the time Absolutely. yeah and it's sort of really brings us on to our, to our next point. So, you know, a lot of discussion amongst the alumni. Um, so let's start again. So there's a lot of discussion amongst the alumni um, guys about what's the best practice um, post-treatment to help keep someone recovered or recovering, depending on which way you look at it. Um, what are some of the most effective actions someone can put into place to remain abstinent after leaving treatment? I, you know, for us, one of the main things that we do promote is the 12 steps. You know, going yeah. to a meeting is really, really important, and we hear it all the time that it's, you know, oh, I haven't got time today, or even on the same day that they're leaving treatment, you know, oh, I won't go to one tonight, you know, because I've planned to take away with the family, and, you know, and I've got all of these amends to make, and I really just want to catch up and spend some time with them. And it's like, so prior to coming into treatment, you could spend 20, 23 hours on your addiction. Um, now yeah. we're asking you to spend an hour, maybe two, on a meeting, and it's become impossible. Um, yet that's the thing that will probably keep you connected to people, um, and connection is the best way to beat addiction. Um, you're starting to come up with the excuses already. Um, and it is just thinking about, you know, is this worth your life? Because that's for every addict, that's what they need to think about, those decisions. Is this worth my life not going to a meeting? Is this worth my life not picking up? You know, because ultimately yeah. that's what can happen. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think um, in terms of you're very you're very right. Addiction is is chronic and progressive, and if left untreated, in a lot of people it is fatal. And mm. the if you if you said to somebody you know you have cancer or um, some other life threatening condition and you have to go to your chemotherapy, your radiotherapy, you can bet they wouldn't miss it. Yeah. Um, you can bet they would be there, they would turn up, and they would do not, do what actually needed to be done to to recover. And it is the same um, for myself in recovery. Now, I look at, you know, although a lot of our alumni team are 12-step, and I myself subscribe to a 12-step recovery model, um, there are other ways, but it is all the same, isn't it? Even smart recovery or other groups of that nature, it is one person who has been there helping another person. Um, by myself, and most people by themselves are no good at all. I can't stay clean alone, but as a group of yeah. people um, supporting each other, we seem to be able to do it quite successfully. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because I think you have to remember, it's not it's not an illness that you can see on the outside. It's an, it's not a, a physical disability that you know it it sits in someone's head. It sits in someone's brain and it distorts their thinking. You know, you can't see that. So that person alone, their thinking is not trustworthy. It's not reliable. Their best thinking is what's got them into treatment in the first place. Um, you know, and I always say to clients, it's not on your bucket list to come into treatment. It's not on anyone's bucket list to say they've gone into to treatment. So it's about being open to other people that actually says, this isn't working. I need to, I need to check my thinking. And, and that means checking your thinking on the smallest things to to the bigger decisions as well. Yeah, yeah, it, you're very true. And it isn't on most people's bucket list. It, it really isn't. But rehab is that, well, from what I see anyway, it's um, it's a new start for people. I used um, the phrase myself, reborn, and I'm not saying that in a, in a religious um, context at all because for me it was I have my old life, it was very, very painful, and now I have a new life, which is the majority is very good. Um, I have the same struggles as everybody else living in the world, like you said, life on life terms, but I still have a life where I'm free, free yeah. to do what I want to do and be what I want to be. Now, um, what would you say is um, some of the risks of not having any type of recovery program in place or at least something to, um, to keep yourself um, healthy when you leave the treatment centre? In the saddest case scenario, unfortunately, is death because... Yeah. You know, we see a lot of people coming into treatment on their knees in crisis, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally beaten. Um, they get a little bit of strength back and and then they pour that out to the rest of the world again instead of keeping it for themselves. Um, so, you know, some of the risks of not having that recovery program in place is them not prioritizing themselves, is them not learning to look after themselves again. Um, and think that they can, if they look after everyone else, they'll be okay, and it doesn't work that way. Do you get that a lot in, in treatment, where people come in and they want to fixate on helping other people rather than looking at themselves? Oh, yeah, all the time. All the time, They, you know, if they can help someone else um, or rescue someone else, as we all often challenge them on, you know, then, then that's okay. Because then, but what all it does is give them ammunition to say that their their problem isn't as bad as someone else's um, it, and it's not about comparing traumas it's not about comparing lives it's about understanding that this is an illness that wants to kill you um, and yeah. not care about you in the process um, or who else else it takes down with it because it, it does take families down with it yes it, it does it really does it's it's funny isn't it because the 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 root of 12 step really is when you've been you know working with a sponsor and you're going through the 12 step work and having had a spiritual awakening as a result of the program you carry the message and the purpose of it is is for me to help the next guy that comes into into the rooms which I do now but you have to be in a position where you can do that so yeah. it also says you can't give away what you haven't got and my Absolutely. first sponsor used to say to me, you ain't got nothing I want, Lee. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. quite like that about him because I had nothing to give anyone. But I yeah. was there to take off people. When I did, I took what I needed off of everybody until I was in a position where I could help the next guy. The next guy say that, isn't it? That, you know, people want to skip the steps. They want to go straight to, to step A and start making amends. And, and, do, and they've got nothing in their self-esteem tank. That person loses any little bit that they had in their self-esteem tank, and before they know it, 
they fall back on old behaviours. They fall back on, on old things that worked for them because they think, well, what's the point? Um, it becomes a lot of all or nothing thinking. Yeah, that's very true. I have, I like so I like and rehab to sort of because like you said, people are very people are off course when they come in. They're very lost, and mm-hmm. what I get from recovery is I get guided, and it's like a ship, and I can go. And for a lot of people, leaving treatment is going to be the start of them sort of going alone on that journey. Now, without the support of other people and a good recovery model, people can go off course. Now, if you go off course for a few hours, a day or so, it's quite easy to bring yourself back, but without the guidance of other people and some really strong recovery, you go off course for quite a long time. And if that happens over any period of time, and I've even noticed this in my own recovery, it's very hard for me to bring it back to where I need to be, and it takes an awful lot of work to do so. Yeah, and I think, you know, like you said it before, and, and, you know, we often use the analogy, you know, like when you're one day clean, two days clean, that's like having a two-day-old baby. Would you put a two-day-old baby in a pub? Would you would you put a two two day old baby in front of a glass of wine? You know because they're like you know I can't do this and I can't do that. But actually you need to think of yourself like a newborn baby again, like being let out into the world and and understanding. Yes, you may be in an adult body, but emotionally you're you're still like a two year old a two day old baby. Um, and it is just yeah. thinking about it in that way to try and help people visualize things. Yeah. And it's it's a really nice way of looking at it. I I think I didn't I used to take offence when I was in early recovery at, at things like that. I, um, mm. But then I think my sponsor said to me fairly recently, actually, you know, he says you're you're sixly six years old and you're doing okay for a six year old. And I sort of mm. think I, and I sort of understand it. I am because before my whole life I had never learned to take responsibility. I'd never learned to deal with anything. My whole solution was taking a drink or a drug into my body to deal with anything. So learning them coping mechanisms is vital and you get that foundation in, you know, in Sanctuary Lodge, you guys do an absolutely amazing job. Um, And then you follow it up with lots of work when you leave treatment and it really is that important. I always think it's very, you know, for a lot of people that the treatment part is, you know, an easier part of recovery. You know, you guys, you look after people, you have a great team of therapists there, you're working on yourself all the time, but when you leave the centre that's when the real action has to be put in oh absolutely you know for a lot of clients coming into treatment with us it's their first healthy relationship with someone um it's got boundaries that's got um you know care in there as well but it's often their first healthy relationship that they've had with someone um and that's not through fault of anyone or, or, or even the client themselves. It's just sometimes that, that that's life and that's situations and they haven't been able to be true to themselves and, and be who they are. And, and they get that opportunity with us because there is no expectation. There is no hidden agenda. Um, if you want to get what you want to get out of treatment, it, you need to put that in. Um, that has to come from you. Um, and we'll, we'll just be the vessel that supports that. Um, and, you know, for a lot of us, we all have um, clients that we stay in touch with, that we still speak to regularly. You know, I've got clients going back, um, you know, four years that still in touch. I've got clients that have recently just left. Um, the same with a lot of the rest of the team um, because we still think it's really important and they call us up on good days and, and bad days or they call us up and they know they're calling us up because we're going to say, well, have you been to a meeting? What are you not doing? You know, and then they kind of go, yeah, I just needed to hear that from someone else. Um, and now I'm going to go speak to my sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. 
So with um, what would you say, because obviously you've worked in the field for a very long time, what are the most common issues that you hear about um, that people are going to face when they return home, um, that they're having, you know, their, their concerns, that they're going to have trouble dealing with when they leave treatment? Um, I think it's being in a relationship or lack of relationship. Yeah. Um, it's work, um, and it's often a feeling of loneliness we tend to get quite a lot as well even when they're going back home to families or relationships they still feel lonely within themselves they still feel that they need to be someone else um so you know it's and that's why it's so important to keep going to something like meetings and and getting a sponsor and connecting with like-minded people where it is okay to go and say you know what i want to use today it doesn't mean i'm going to I, but I want to use today and know that there's people will rally around you and support you and, and, and understand that. Um, you know, yeah. whereas unfortunately sometimes if you go and say a loved to a loved one, their reaction is going to be slightly different because there's an emotional attachment, there's an emotional connection and, and they're going to worry and, and you're going to pick up on that worry and anxiety and, and then you're going to feel guilty and then you go into your own spiral um, and then you just stop talking and that's not healthy. No. And it, I think the, the isolation, I, I don't know, you've probably heard it a lot in treatment, but I hear it an awful lot in recovery meetings that you could be in a room full of people and mm. still feel isolated in inactive addiction. Mm. And then coming into to rehab and having that support and having, you know, aside from the, the therapist and the support staff and, of course, the management team that are there to support you, you have your peers in treatment and you're all working towards that common goal. And then and then you leave and I suppose what you say is, right, you can fall back into that trap of isolation, which is why the the support of people who have been there. And for me, the the mutual aid support that people tap into has got to be the biggest form of support that you can actually get when you leave. Because if I try and speak to, and I have done once actually, Jenna, I spoke to spoke to my wife one night. I hadn't really been speaking to my sponsor a lot, and she said, you, "I feel a little bit excluded from your from your life and from your recovery." So I spoke to her and told her how I was feeling, and she looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> absolutely just like what are, what are you thinking like that poorly it's like okay you don't understand and i made a decision that night never to talk to her about my recovery again in that respect because she doesn't yeah. understand but if i speak to my sponsor and say do you know what i've got this stuff going on he says yeah no do you know what i've i felt like that as well let's look at what you need to do to get around it and it will for me it will break that isolation i don't feel like that anymore i'm not alone yeah, and, and that's just, it's just really important. And if you think about it, regardless of whether you have addiction or not, everyone in their lives has groups of people for different things. You know, you might have colleagues and you might have associates and then you've got friends that you you, you like to go on holiday with but you wouldn't necessarily um, see on a day-to-day -day basis as of people in our lives. And all this is for, for people in recovery and addiction is, is adding in one that involves going to 12-step to meetings or engaging in something like Smart Recovery or, you know, alumni and, and the Facebook pages that just means you can reach out to other people um, so you're not so alone. It's just really, really important. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree.
agree. And with you know, we live in very uh, marvelous age, and we're very very lucky to be able to tap into what we can tap into today. So, so um, the the days we live in, we're very lucky to have so many different paths of recovery. I know Sanctuary Lodge itself offers a twelve step recovery model in the north of the country in Bradford and Runcorn. We actually offer the Strengths model and the twelve step um, recovery model. Um, how important would you say it is that people respect other people's approaches to recovery and how would you encourage a healthy debate without it blowing into a full-blown argument? Um, I think it, exactly that word that you kind of use, respect, isn't it? I think what we highlight to people coming into treatment is your way is not working. Your way does not work. And I think that that's the first and most important thing. You're, it's not working. It might work for a day. It might work for a week. It might, it, But it's not working. Um, hence coming into treatment to need to have that safe environment to really take a step back. And I think what we always say, you know, the beauty of the 12-step program is that all it asks is that you're open, honest, um, those kind of key things. And it's not saying that, you know, this is just about trying something for, for 28 days or however long you're in treatment. And if it doesn't work, then have you really lost anything more significant than you were losing before? Um, mm. But actually, what might you gain from this? And, and we do quite, yes, we do follow a 12-step ethos here, but we're also quite balanced. We, we do understand that as amazing as the 12-step program is, it isn't for everyone. Um, it doesn't work otherwise um, all the time. Otherwise, addiction wouldn't be a problem still. It to human nature and human behaviour. We want to interpret things the way that we want it to be to fit with our lives, and that's not always the case. And I think, but what we try and do at Sanctuary is we balance that. You know, we have dialectical behaviour therapy, which provides, you know, active coping strategies and ways to regulate your emotions. And, you know, we have things like yoga and gong bath because it is about a new way of life. It's not just about, right, well, I've got to do these. We always say, like, you're doing this program in order to live your life again, to go and do the things that you want to be able to do. Um, so it, it's just kind of having that respect for each other that says, you know, we get a lot of clients that come in that are atheists and they don't like the God word being used. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, and that often comes up for debate and we, you know, we, we reiterate it's, it's not a religious program, it's a spiritual um, thing. That can be, you know, there's lots of acronyms for God and, and, you know, your interpretation for some people, it helps them reconnect with the faith and and actually they find it comforting. For others, you know, it's a bit more of a challenge, but actually when you look at it a bit deeper, it's not about trying to focus in on one word, it's looking at what the, the message is that we're trying to get across. Yeah, and... I like what you're saying about re respecting other people's viewpoints. The 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 root of 12-step recovery for me is, and I can only speak from my experience in this, is addiction made me very self-centered. Um, I used to think that really, on some level, that the world owed me a living. And I used to think I was very sensitive for what I was, was um, self-seeking, and um, I internalized everything. Um and living like that, you can't possibly hope to live a healthy life. So 12-step recovery really is, when you look at the word God, or the the higher power as such, I learned in the beginning that it's just, you're not the center of the universe, Lee. 
which is why engaging with the group, helping other people, doing things for other people with no return for yourself got me out of that mindset, got me out of that um, internalizing everything, um, selfish, self-seeking mindset and got me into helping other people. And, you know, the root of 12 step is for me is to be to be a good person and treat other people as I'd want to be treated. And uh, and that's good enough. You know, and that's that's really the kind of foundations of all our group sessions, you know. We're not asking you to to connect and understand everything, but it is about being respectful and just listening to someone's experience, listening to someone's story, um, and and seeing what does fit with you. And and not all of it always will, but it's just about being open. Um, You know, my favourite saying in the... The fellowship, there's a reason why you've got two ears and one mouth. Learn to close the mouth and learn to open your ears because actually sometimes we do way too much talking and we think we know best and we want to finish people's conversations and we want to have all the solutions and make people feel good. But actually sometimes all people are asking for us to do is just listen. You know, And a lot of clients don't always like that statement, but generally the ones that have the worst reaction to it are the ones that it fits the most, and they're the ones that come back a few days later and go, I get what you're saying now. It it, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And you're right in, in that respect, and we've touched on it quite a lot today. My my thinking, the clients that come to us, their best thinking ends up with them in treatment, or you know, if they're lucky to, to come to us, uh, mm. an addict's best thinking, because there's going to be a lot of people that aren't a part of our alumni program, Mm. Um, listen to this addicts alcoholics their best thinking are getting them you know in a lot of trouble it can as you say it can be fatal so realizing that for myself I don't know best and maybe there is someone out there that knows a little bit more than me that can help me and one thing that they all have in common whether it be you know smart recovery 12-step recovery alumni support um, even the groups in Sanctuary Lodge local service support it's mm. all groups of people supporting other people and helping each other. Because together yeah. we're strong by ourselves. I'm very weak. Absolutely. Um, and when you see a magic come alive with the group, it, it's like a domino effect. You know, it, you know, it can take a group down as well, but it can also lift a group up that's so strong. Um, and just seeing them open up and share, you know, because a lot of people coming into treatment, the last time they sat in in a group, you know, was at school and, and still they were being spoken to. They weren't, you know, it wasn't like an open circle. Um, you know, so for a lot of them it's nerve-wracking and it's really, really scary. But actually it really helps them for when they do leave to continue to go to meetings, to continue to be um, in a group of people and, and, and know it's okay not to be loud, it's okay to be quiet, it's okay to be both loud and happy, you know, and... It, it's just giving them permission that says, look, you still don't have to get on with everyone, but it's about having that healthy respect for each other that just yeah. says there's a reason that you're all here together. Yeah. Yeah, I, I meet a lot of people in recovery that I don't like, I'll be honest with you. Mm. But I love yeah. every one of them, and I would help anyone that if yeah. they asked me. Yeah. I really would. Um, and it really is the ethos, isn't it, of what we try and do, support one another, um, so we can stay clean together because really it's an addict in their own company is in the worst company. You know, wow. don't go up there with an out, without an adult, isn't it? I think I've yeah. said. Yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> and, you know, and it is 
it's about really being proud of yourself to say that you know actually yeah well because sometimes it's not their decision to necessarily that gets them through the door um but hopefully by the time they leave they're doing it for themselves um because they're starting to find themselves again yeah you hear it a lot actually doing the job i do on admissions when i speak to people who we're going to be booking into treatment or even just people who are phoning us up and saying you know i can't come into treatment i don't have the money for for that but is there anywhere i can go to seek help locally so we will obviously mm-hmm. talk to them about local support groups i will always mention the fellowships yeah. um local support sort of community drug and alcohol team but a lot of people believe it's a failure i hear it so much well i failed you know, and I say, no, you've got to flip that around on its head. You know, you could just sit there not acknowledging this as a problem, but you've identified it and you've made the really brave decision to actually phone someone and do something about it. And that isn't a failure. That's, the, the, the I think, the strongest thing you can do. And the bravest thing you can do is actually own it and say, you know, I'm not, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to change. And, yeah, and you hit it on the nail, you know, that word failure, that's exactly the way that a lot of them feel when they're coming out of treatment as well, you know, because they've been in treatment now for however many days, 28 is our average program, you know, they should be coming out fixed and they shouldn't need any more support and, you know, so to still need to go to these meetings or to still need to check in with aftercare on a Friday, you know, becomes like, well, I'm still a failure, I'm still not good enough and actually it's about, no, it's just saying that everyone needs a little bit of support um, so the very thing that they have at the beginning is still often the, the myth that they can walk out with because sometimes other people's expectations of them can be, but you've been in there, you've had all the treatment, why is it still a problem? Um, and this is because it's a, a lifelong illness. It's not um, a, a short-term illness. It is long-term. It doesn't It doesn't go. It just becomes manageable. Yeah, it does. You can, you can learn to manage it. And I think after a while it isn't so much for me. Certainly it isn't about going to pick up a drink or a drug today because it hasn't been like that for quite a long time it's now about um feelings and emotions that like like you said earlier i'm um i'm very young in terms of i'm only well i was going to say six and a half but that makes me sound even younger but <laughs> you know i've been clean for like a six and a half years. year old trying to negotiate with a six and a half year old that's going yeah. How we can get around this and, and say that, you know, but actually emotionally that's how we can come across, you know. We we often respond like that six-year-old that kind of, if you think about a six-year-old that's really excited for life, they're curious, but they're also kind of like, oh, you know, um, you know, they're stepping into that stage where you, you're going to school for the first time and, and you want to be grown up and, you, you, you know, so actually when you look at it, a lot of those behaviours come across like that. Um, yeah. You know, and it is just, it's not about trying to minimise anyone or take away what someone's achieved in life or been able to do. This is about saying emotionally you are like a, a six-year-old. That doesn't mean that you can't still look after your family. This doesn't That doesn't mean you haven't got a successful business or career or or any of those things. You know, they're practical things. Yeah. I agree. I can, and I think a lot of people can, I see in recovery. I can react um, sometimes very immaturely, and I don't necessarily have the tools for everything that life's going to throw at me. But I do. I have children. I have grandchildren. Um, I turn up to work every day on time. Um, I'd like to think I'm a good employee. Um, I'm a good husband and a good father, but I still sometimes can fall into that reaction um, of, of, you know, a lot younger than what I should be because I haven't been, I haven't matured like other people will have matured through their lives. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and that's just about having that acceptance, isn't it? And it's about not wanting to try and rush to change it. You know, I use the the serenity prayer a lot, and I always think that the the biggest kind of um, thing about it is that wisdom to know the difference. You know, um, yeah, there are yeah. things that we can change and we can't, and we can know that. But actually, it's the wisdom to know when to do those and when not to, and and actually, that really that comes down to the, your emotional growth. Um, you know, because sometimes when people get into recovery, they want to get into the fast lane again, and they want to go a hundred miles, and it's it's that's just not healthy. And it, it's you know, actually, we need to find what's healthy for you. No, very true, very true. Now, um, we have all different types of people from all different backgrounds coming through our services, and in general, we're going to be approaching. Um, you know, many, many resources for recovery. So um, in your experience of, of seeing people come through, particularly women, um, when they leave treatment, what would you say are some of the most challenging experiences facing women compared to men when they leave treatment? And what can they do to actually help themselves? Um, I think, it, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but it, it, it is the same old kind of stereotypes and and stigma that's in place you know the, the female needs to be the mother and the nurturing and look after everyone and and all of that needs to come before themselves and you know and it and sometimes that's kind of the harder thing sometimes as well there's less um even with the fellowships there's less 12-step female groups um there's less sometimes females in the fellowship um they yeah. some of the groups can be quite male dominated so that can sometimes be harder for females to find a, a group that they're comfortable in, um, really. Um, but they are out there, and it does happen. You know, I've got a client recently, and she's she's only 19, but she's found two um, female groups that she goes to, and you know, and she's really thrives off those and and stuff. And she needs those for her personal reasons, just to kind of until she gains more confidence in herself. But men equally can feel like they've got to put everyone else first. And and, and actually, it, we say anything you put before you and your recovery, you're going to lose. Yeah. So if you put family before it, you're going to lose them. If you put your job before it, you're going to lose them. You know, we hear so many clients say, you know, female or male, that if I, if I don't um, go back to work, um, you know, I'm going to lose this job or something and it's like but actually you're going to lose it anyway because your recover your addiction is going to come in and take it from you um so it's just really really important but it it's just it really varies from everyone like you say everyone comes from different walks of life with different challenges and different experiences and it's not about comparing those it's just about being aware of them and actually what's going to work best for you yeah, that's a, a very sensible and measured answer, I think. And, you, and you're right. I've I've sat in groups before. I remember one one particular stands out where I'd done a share in a meeting about about two two three years ago, and um, there was probably thirty people in there, and only one woman was in there, and it was her first meeting. And I can't even imagine what that experience must have been like for her to sit down in a room full of men, her first ever experience of the fellowship. It must have been very difficult for her. But then I've sat in a in a meeting in St Albans. Um, I I went to a meeting there and shared, and 
there was probably 30 women in there and they were all crocheting. <laughs> and I felt like out of place. It was one of the lunchtime meetings. I thought they're not going to identify with my story at all. But yeah, it was, no. <laughs> um, it, people are going to face their own their own challenges, male or female, I think, when they leave. And, and it's finding what works. You know, women will find groups. There are a lot of um, female-only groups. Um, there are a lot that are running and more and more are popping up, more yeah. and more are coming up on Zoom as well, I'm yeah. seeing, because the, the way the world is at the moment, everything's being done on Zoom, so there are a lot of female-only groups. There's also a lot of male groups as well. There's a, Absolutely. There's a male group on Sunday morning, not far from Sanctuary Lodge, actually, where, believe yeah. it or not, we talk about totally different things than we would do usually in a, in a mixed meeting. We're really getting in contact with feelings there. It's yeah. quite strange, actually, a group of guys sitting around talking like that. But um, it's, it's good for you know male and female to be able to separate and sort of um, talk about things they don't feel comfortable talking about in front of the opposite sex. And I think now, it's about saying that that's okay because we do exactly the same in groups. Sometimes when we notice that dynamic, you know, we'll we'll separate it. And for group therapy, we'll have a separate group therapy session for for the males and a separate one for the females just if we notice that there's some different things coming up at that point, because sometimes it, it is needed. Um, you know, it's not about trying to say men suffer more than, than females or females suffer more than males. It, it's not about that. It's just about acknowledging that actually sometimes we all need a, something, a different space. Yeah, very true. And thank you. And what would be probably your one word of advice or the best advice you could give somebody who's listening to this who's who's struggling um i think that i would say do you know what if you're being honest with yourself you, you already know something's going on because you, you know you're struggling so that's such an important thing to recognize it, you know we can minimize that but actually if you're you're already making those steps without realizing and i think what i would just say is reach out reach out to you know to a helpline reach out to a service reach out to the fellowship um it's just really really important once you pick up that phone it doesn't matter what you say something will come out and and eventually hopefully that other person on the other end of the phone will or face to face will help you make sense of it yeah it would be the best um, for me, the, the best thing you can do. And one of the things that sort of kept me going in my early recovery is I, I didn't see me, somebody like myself, ever getting clean, much less staying clean. It wasn't for people mm -hmm. like me. I yeah. sort of resigned myself in the end that it was going to kill me. Yeah. And um, they just said to me, you know, give it six months. Do what we show you to do for six months. Then if you want to use that pain and misery and suffering, that's still waiting there for you, Lee. And yeah. Um, yeah. and it was true. After six months, after even a little while, it got a lot better. And life continues to get better. It's a journey of discovery. And if there is anyone listening that's not sure, you know, give someone a call, reach yeah. out. It will be the bravest thing you can ever do. Well, Jenna, thank you so much, so much um, for talking to me today. It's really yeah. encouraged me, to be honest. And I think that... You know, because I'm not going to get abroad this year. I might have a couple of weeks in sanctuary to come along yeah. and um, just You're do a bit of good work on anytime. myself. Anytime. More than welcome. I sometimes think about uh, giving myself a couple of weeks in sanctuary as well and just uh, stepping out of the office <laughs> and in, into a room, you know. Because I think we, we all need it, you know. Um, and, you know, the ethos of sanctuary as well is work as a team. No one is greater or better than anyone else. That's how we work, and that's what the message that we try to pass on to the clients as well.
Yeah. Yeah, thank you for you know all the work you do. I know you guys and, and yourself do a fantastic job there. So um, thank you for listening to Screaming on the Inside with our special guest, Jenna from Sanctuary Lodge. You can find our podcast on all audio platforms. Simply search Screaming on the Inside, a podcast by UCAT. We'd also love to hear your suggestions and topic ideas. If you'd like to feature on an episode or share your experience, you can email us at s. O-T-I-P-O-D at ucat.co.uk Well, Jenna, thank you. You're welcome.